This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Redefining Success, the show where we speak to passionate people from various fields about their careers and lives, what makes them tick and how they define success. I'm Darshan Johan. Joining me on today's show is Carmen Lim. She's a para swimmer. In 2015, when she was merely 15 years old, she broke the 50-metre record at the ASEAN Para Games. And last year, in 2022, she won three medals at the event. On top of being a brilliant athlete, Carmen is also now a law graduate from Cambridge University. Welcome to the show, Carmen. How are you? Hi, Darshan. Thank you for a very nice welcome. Uh, I'm good. <laughs> so I want to ask you this, right? How do you define success? When you hear the word success, what does it mean to you? Um, I think immediate thought, it would be to just accomplish your goals. But um, when I break that down, because I, I gave this a bit of a uh, of thought after reading uh, the question, and uh, I would say actually success to me is also just making progress. Um, you know, towards whatever goals you may set, because it's one thing to accomplish goals. And that sounds quite intimidating. But when you break it down to say like, no, I'm making progress, I'm, um, I'm on the route, <laughs> I'm on route towards my goals, that that sounds that sounds better, I think. Has your ideas of success changed over time? Or is this how you've always thought? Um, Probably when I was younger, definitely the it would just be accomplishing goals. But I suppose like as, um, you know, I've grown older, uh, gained experiences, you also, you don't just experience success. You also have setbacks and um, sometimes even like big failures. And with that, I think that's what makes me appreciate the whole process and appreciate the progress I make towards achieving my goals. What? Would what made you sort of change your perspective? Because you will say you're in a phase right now where you appreciate the journey as much as the destination, right? What how what caused that mindset shift? I think just not achieving my goals. <laughs> um, it's just not a simple route. Like mm -hmm. for example, when we compete, you know, you're not going to win every time you enter the pool. And there are some losses that will hurt more than others. And I can say the same for um, my education. And I guess those are the moments like when you feel like, oh my gosh, you know, things could not get any worse. That's when, um, you know, that's what makes you appreciate success a lot more. And yeah, then moving forward, you also learn to pace yourself and that's when you appreciate the journey because if you only hyperfixate on the end goal and in the worst case scenario, uh, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out, you will be crushed if you don't manage your expectations. So, you know, putting managing expectations aside um, and like you said, the, the, the journey is equally as important as the destination, but what are your goals right now when you look at the phase of life where you're in right now, what would be your core goals? I suppose right now it would be to qualify for the Paris Paralympic Games next year. Uh, it's not something I've talked about a lot because for the past year, I I never set that goal 
um, explicitly in my mind because sometimes, you know, it's such a big goal that it scared me for a long time. So um, it's only recently that I've come to terms with like, yeah, you know, if I want to achieve something, I, I'm going to have to speak it into existence somewhat. I have to remind myself like, yeah, that's my goal, um, no matter how crazy it may sound. So that's uh, one of my goals. And I suppose long term, it would be to return to the legal field and, you know, um, as cliche as it sounds, become a lawyer <laughs> because that's what I did a degree in. So, yeah. Well, how mm. were you during your schooling days? Let's go back in time um, before we get to the point where you are a, a law graduate. Um, how were you during your schooling days? Did you get good grades? Um, what were your interests and ambitions back then? I would say I did decently well. Mm -hmm. um, like I was not the top student in school because I came from a very competitive school um, where, you know, students not just excelled in sports, uh, but also in the academics. So I, I was good, I guess, <laughs> just um, not the best. And which school did you um, go to? Um, Sri Kale International School. Uh, but I suppose I, I still did okay. And when my IGCSE results came out, they also reflected the work I put in to some extent. Um, but I was also quite focused on swimming as well. So it was a, a balance between the two. You went to Cambridge Law School. Why law? And what was the journey like getting into Cambridge? Honest answer when it, when it comes to why law is, realistically, I just saw my aunt, um, you know, growing up, um, I'm very close to my aunt and she is a lawyer. She She's not a practicing lawyer now, but she's still in legal. And, you know, I guess I I just found that very cool. And maybe it was more just um, the way she carried herself, the way she talked about her job. That's what attracted me to the field. Although um, back then, like, I, I cannot say that I understood what law <laughs> meant. <laughs> but when I was applying for university, because you have to actually give a legitimate reason. So, I mean, then, you know, I, I managed to get it like, okay, those um leading up to university, those were the years where I became a bit more aware of injustices. Um, and because I I have a physical disability and I I am friends with a lot of other, you know, um disabled people. And yeah, I see I see the experiences, I hear the experiences, I experience um, you know, discrimination as sad as that sounds. I experienced all of that and that's what pushed me towards like, yeah, okay, I, I want to understand like, yeah, we have all sorts of equality legislation, all sorts of rules and regulation that um, say that discrimination is wrong, bad, all sorts of things. But why does it still happen in practice? I wanted to see how, you know, how the law worked. Cambridge is one of the most prestigious universities in the world. Many people only dream of getting there. Um, you actually managed to do so. Talk to me about that journey. Um, what was it like? Um, what was the, the process like? Did you face a lot of pressure, whether from your school, your family, yourself, um, um, in that journey trying to get there? For Cambridge, it was never my lifelong goal. Mm -hmm. I know for a lot of people, uh, some even my friend, like my my close friends now, a lot of them treated Cambridge as this big goal they've had since they were children, which is fair enough because mm -hmm. 
it is it is prestigious and it's a big deal. Um, but it was never like that for me. But I I did my A-levels in a boarding school in Wales. And um, they, <laughs> they really, really focused on um, academics. And, you know, they would have ranking tables on how many students they would be able to send to Oxbridge every year. Wow. So that was the kind of school I, I, I went to for A-levels. Um, and yeah, do you I, thrive I think, on uh, do you thrive on those kinds of um, situations, um, the hyper competitive um, nature of it all? In general, yes, but specifically in that school, not really. Mm. Yeah, um, like I would be lying if I said I enjoyed myself there. I didn't. Okay. <laughs> I absolutely did not like boarding school. <laughs> um, and I had a lot of pressure from my school, and it was also because. I've mentioned this in previous interviews before, but um, like I was also not allowed to, um, I had to take a break from swimming when I was there because they didn't believe in, or at least the head teacher there did not believe that um, succeeding in those two aspects simultaneously during the same time was possible. He didn't think it was possible. And it, it felt a bit degrading and it felt like I that choice was taken away from me. Um, to the point where I question, like, why, why do I even want to go to Cambridge? Right. Um, it was very controlling and keeping in mind, I, I mean, it's in the news. The hate, the hate teacher was sacked for various reasons, and um, this isn't even the worst reason. <laughs> um, but yeah, like basically because we were all minors, most of us were minors under eighteen um, while we were there. So. Um, our head teacher would be our legal guardian. So all decisions will be made. And, you know, my family, as supportive as they are, they were not there in person to see exactly what was going on or to understand how I felt. And perhaps, like, I also did not know how to convey my feelings about the whole situation. So, you know, I, that's the that's the problem with power dynamics, I would say. And one thing led to another. And by the end of it, you know, I, I had not swum for, like, close to six months um was that the longest you have not swam yeah and it, it was tough it was very tough so you went through that you had to sacrifice perhaps your biggest passion in life for six seven months um how did you feel when you eventually got into cambridge did you feel that it was all worth it that especially that six month sacrifice or it was more of like a relief. Okay, now that I'm I've got this, that chapter is done, I can get back to my passion. Definitely relief, I would say. <laughs> um just relief that, you know, all that sacrifice was worthwhile, I suppose. Because it would be one thing to sacrifice such a big part of my life, but if it amounted to uh, to some extent nothing, I, I think that would be diff- even more difficult. Um but yeah, I mean, I, I I don't regret going to Cambridge at all. Like, I, I definitely had a wonderful time there as much as, you know, it is prestigious for a reason. You really <laughs> suffer doing your degree. And I think you can ask any graduate from Cambridge. Um, it is not easy being there with some of the smartest people in the world. But, you know, it, it was still a fun time, I suppose, in between <laughs> um, all the studying. And yeah, I, I genuinely enjoyed my time. On the show with me today is Carmen Lim. She's a para swimmer. We continue this discussion after the break. Keep it here on Redefining Success, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Redefining Success. 
I'm Darshan Johan, and on the show with me today is Carmen Lim. She's a para swimmer. So, Carmen, I want to talk to you about two points in your life. Talk to me about the point in your life where you fell in love with swimming and the point in your life where you realised you could do this somewhat for a living. I don't think there was a defining point where I fell in love in swimming. Uh, and I've also mentioned this before. Uh, it's quite ironic, but I, I used to be very scared of water as a child. Right. Almost drowned. Uh, absolutely hated learning how to swim. <laughs> uh, but I think when I entered secondary school, because Street KL is, a, uh, again, it's a very sporty school. I... At that point, I, I did not have a sport. I did not do a, a specific sport. So I, I I wanted to be involved, I suppose. I, I was just a kid. Like, you know, I, I didn't want to feel left out, probably. Uh, joined swimming. And then within a year or two, um, I went to like national circuits, was scouted by uh, the National Sports Council. And then after that, I have been on the national team, team since. Well, that's, that's such a you know, such a rapid sort of rise, right, in, in that journey. How did you go from someone who, you know, was, you didn't like, and you didn't enjoy swimming, uh, swim training, you didn't particularly love sports, you know, you were phobia of water, and then in your secondary school, you just, you know, went from strength to strength and then joined the national team. Well, okay, I got, I, I got over my phobia as a child. Okay. Like, you know, um, I learned to swim when I was five. So actually, I learned how to, to exist in water relatively young, which I think helps. <laughs> um, but I suppose in Malaysia, in the national scene, there are not many female uh, para swimmers, especially, or just para swimmers in general. Our team is quite small, the national team. Um, and so because I was quite consistent with training in school, by the time I went for these competitions, I guess I was fast enough. And because I think the, like just the competition within Malaysia as well as Southeast Asia, it's previously, it's not been that competitive. And so it gave me the platform to look the best <laughs> at that point in time. I, I was the best option back then. And thankfully, you know, it, it was not for nothing. Uh, and yeah, I just got very lucky in that regard. Um, but I can tell you that it's gotten a lot more competitive, especially at a Southeast Asian and Asian level. So, you know, things have progressed and developed in the swimming scene, the para swimming scene, at least. You were born without your left arm, right? What was it like growing up? Were there points in your life where you felt you were different? Um, do you remember those those days or... Were you always, because you seem like a highly empowered person right now, um, was it like that growing up as well? I think generally, yes. Um, my parents did a very good job making sure that, um, you know, they they taught me to know my worth in that sense. So they've done a great job there. Um, but I think the most recent experience I've had where I, I did question like, oh, you know, why where do I even belong is... Mm. Um, I would say last year, because last year I, I was in my final year of university. And just like any other finalist, you would be applying for jobs. And I applied to a few positions in Malaysia specifically. And 
the discrimination is very much still present. Yeah. Um, Can you I can't name names. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to name names, but talk to me about the discrimination that you've either faced in the past or right now, um, especially in Malaysia. From the most fundamental level, even submitting an application, there's discrimination. Um, for example, nowadays, job um, when you apply for jobs at companies, each company would have a job site. Uh, it would be like an online portal where you submit your details and give a bit of a declaration of, you know, you you've not been convicted of a crime or all of those fundamental things that you think, yeah, makes you a decent human being. But a part of that, uh, that specific application that I'm talking about right now, one of the terms and conditions was to declare that I did not have a chronic illness or a disability. Wow. And I was like, okay, it's okay to have that clause. Maybe you want to know whether I have a disability or not. So um, I just did not take it because uh, that would be lying. <laughs> like the more if and when you interview me, you will see like I'm lying. I, I can't do that. So I didn't take it. And it, I could not submit my application. I could not click on the submit button. And I, I was in Cambridge during that time. So I was asking like my friends and, you know, some of them were majoring in computer science. I was like, what is wrong with my computer? Like I was quite stressed because, you know, any job application cycle yeah. is stressful for anyone. Absolutely. And it, and it turns out it was because they treated um, the disability clause as something that was completely fundamental. You cannot submit your application unless you declare that you don't have a disability or a chronic illness. That's absolutely... And in, that's, yeah, and keeping in mind that the jobs that I applied for, um, all of them had nothing to do with uh, physical work if that was what, you know, I know some people might reason, it's like, oh, it could be like, yeah, inconvenient for you or whatever. Yeah, none of it was that kind of job. And even then, even if it may inconvenience... Um, it may be more difficult for you to do that job. That is no reason for you to discriminate from the outset. I'm wondering also, Carmen, do you face similar issues um, in the sporting scene as well? I'm wondering, what are the gaps in Malaysia when it comes to perhaps infrastructure and programs to cultivate and hone sporting talents among people with disabilities? Credit to the National Sports Council. They have, in recent years, made the effort to make things as equal as they can. Um, I will acknowledge that there, there are gaps, um, but because I can see the progress, I don't think they're worth mentioning in that sense because I, I can see that they they have made the effort to make sure that both para-sport and able-bodied sports are receiving the same treatment. But I do see a very significant gap still in terms of sponsorships, um, we don't get any, <laughs> especially on an individual level. It's one thing that people sponsor the Paralympic Council of Malaysia. That's great. And I think more should, there should be more, if anything. Um, but on, on an individual level, unless you're like Datuk Latif or Ziad or um, Chalek Ho, like they are incredible athletes. They're world number one. Um, but unless you're world number one, you're not going to be getting sponsorships, which is ridiculous to me because most of the athletes on the para, uh, the Paralympic squad, the para squad, most of us are ranked within the top 20, the top 10 as well. But 
we are not seeing the same level of engagement as able-bodied athletes when it's not to put them down in any sense. I think all athletes are doing incredible and um, people should be less mean to them uh, in terms of results. But, you know, if you want to compare results as well, like why aren't we receiving the same amount of attention as um, able-bodied athletes who sometimes may not even reach the same level of um, competitiveness as the para-athletes? You know, able-bodied athletes, they are, they are considered the average human being. So when they go out and look for jobs, people wouldn't um, think twice. Like the moment they, they hit the criteria, they would be hired. There's no question to that. Whereas when it comes to para-athletes, especially those that are more visibly disabled or, um, you know, just as long as the disability is evident to the interviewer, to employers, that that's when I think there might be an issue. And yeah, I mean, it doesn't help that a lot of para athletes they may not they come from disadvantages background. Um, you know, it's a multitude of issues. But I guess the one that should and can be changed on a societal level would be to stop the discrimination, really. Absolutely, because I think that's a problem that we see repeatedly in Malaysia, right? This sort of approach that employers and companies take where it's just it's just about their own convenience rather than doing what is necessary to provide the infrastructure, to provide the support, um, to make the company as inclusive as possible for, for everyone. Um, oftentimes, it's just about maximizing profits in the easiest way possible, um, and, and I think that is that is a culture that needs to change. Absolutely. Policies need to be um, enacted as well um, to, to sort of force employers into this direction. Um, what are some of the biggest challenges you faced as a para swimmer? Biggest challenges? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, my life mustn't be too difficult when I don't have anything that springs to mind immediately. <laughs> um no, well, I, I, I put it about, as, an, as an athlete, what you go through as an athlete. I guess just to have the consistency. Um, right now, like, you can ask any of the other national para swimmers because we've had a very, very busy year. Um, we've started competing in February. And since then, every one or one and a half months, we would have another competition. So we've... We've been working nonstop. Um, recently, we just got back from the World Championships. And while our European counterparts have all gone on summer break, <laughs> <laughs> all of us are back training because we have um, the Asian Para Games in Hangzhou in October. So uh, I think right now everyone is... It's it's a bit of a, a struggle in that sense to maintain the level of performance you need to have um, on an elite level. And I think not just physically, but also mentally, it can be quite exhausting because you have all these huge goals in front of you. Um, it can get quite exhausting to constantly work towards that, especially when you know your body is absolutely breaking. Um, you've competed like five, six times this year and you have to keep going. So I think, yeah, that's quite difficult. But I, I think that would be a problem that applies to any other job, really. <laughs> Just that I guess ours is displayed on like the TVs and the news and our performance is scrutinized by 
the nation. So <laughs> that's the added pressure. Absolutely. And speaking of performance, right, you're a triple medalist at the ASEAN Paragames um, last year. You won gold medal for the 100-meter breaststroke and two silver medals um, for a couple of freestyle categories. Now, tell me, Carmen, what does it take to perform at that level? Because now you are, you know, at the top of the Southeast Asian level, um, you know, and talk to me about your training. How grueling is it? Um, how focused do you have to be? Um, do you have to make sacrifices um, when it comes to perhaps your nutrition, eating your favorite food and, and things like that, basic things like that? What does it take to reach your level? My performance this year reflects the the hard work I've put in. Uh, because, okay, last year, I won one gold medal and two silvers. Yes. Whereas this year, because this year, we also had another edition of the Games. And that's where I won three gold medals and one bronze. But my timing significantly improved. And they have dropped, you know, by seconds, not just milliseconds from the span within the span of one one year it was it's not exactly one year but slightly less and between the time between those two competitions the solo edition of the ASEAN Paragames and this year's Cambodia edition um the amount of hard work that went in was quite drastic because previously I've always been a student athlete whereas right now I'm a full-time athlete and I can I can definitely say, you know, the sacrifices you make, um, it goes down to almost every night I'm not eating dinner with my family or I'm not going out with friends because that's when training happens. Um, you know, not going for late nights <laughs> with friends because then, you know, I know it will disrupt my sleep schedule, all those kinds of things. Uh, a lot of your social life is disrupted or... Yeah, if anything, put on hold when you're trying to achieve a goal as big as qualifying for the Olympics or Paralympics. When, when it comes to, you know, sprints, right, you're talking about the milliseconds. Um, like you said, um, you know, if, the, if it really, you know, if you can really drop like a, be going beyond the milliseconds into the second zone, it's such a big achievement because it's such a short sprint. What kind of effort you know, goes into reducing a millisecond, 10 milliseconds, one second. What kind of effort goes into that? I guess swim training is the the key focal point where, you know, you're putting in a lot more hours in the pool, um, technique and just all sorts of um, stamina training, endurance training, even though it's a sprint, you know, you're supposed to, it's a sprint, but you have to sprint the entire um, length. So, exactly. uh all of that, but also I think, yeah, nutrition is really important. Um, at the start of the year, my dietitian did um, was monitoring my my progress quite um, closely because previously I I suppose like my muscle composition or even my fat percentage was um, not within the range that she was happy with, and so yeah with nutrition um that's that's also quite controlled but i wouldn't say to the point where we're completely deprived of, from food that we enjoy because if not it's not sustainable mm -hmm. um and i guess just other things with like sleep um having the support and um i suppose most recently for for me personally would be to have the mental capacity to 
you know, focus, um, focus enough to be able to perform. Because the moment I don't focus, I can tell you my performance drops significantly, especially in the sprint. Because, um, you know, your stroke goes haywire or you're not, you're not going to be pushing yourself to be on your comfort zone. There are some races where I can tell you that if I did not have enough focus or if I was distracted, I got scared or something. Um, yeah, like I would end the race going like, wait, I don't feel as tired as I should be. It's because I I just did not put my mind 100% into that swim. So put me in your shoes, Carmen. Um, I guess don't wear shoes when you're swimming. But, <laughs> you know, when you talk about focus, you know, swimmers, um, they, they stand on that ramp thing and then the whistle blows and then they dive, right? Yeah. And, and that when, you, when you're standing on the ramp, whenever I watch um, swimming on, on TV, um, you know, it's dead silence. Everybody's comp- in their heads, focused. What goes through your mind when you're there standing on that ramp? How important is that moment to get you completely in the zone so that you don't lose focus in those 100 meters or the 50 meters in where you're swimming? During that moment, honestly, my mind is blank okay. <laughs> because um, I my advantage point um, is usually my starts. So my reaction time, um, I don't have a bad one. Let's put it this way. <laughs> so I my focus is all on hearing the, the beep for, from the... I guess it's the the starter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before I step onto the blocks, that's when, you know, a lot of things are in my mind, but I, I tend to try to focus it down to what do I need to do? Um, like, I think it's this thing called self-talk where, uh, you know, you tell yourself like, yeah, you need to drive your legs. You need to, you know, hold your breath and, um, you know, pull when I pull, I have to uh, finish the pull, all those kinds of things. I'm reminding myself what I need to do during that short 50 meters. Um, and yeah, that's that's all I'm telling myself because if there's too much information going through your head, you're going to get overwhelmed and you don't want that either. Absolutely. What has been some of your proudest moments of your career as a swimmer so far? Probably the most recent ASEAN Para Games, really. So I've, because I do specialize in the 50 meter freestyle, but Mm -hmm. I've also had a lot of trouble with that. It's like, you know, this thing called, uh, people say with like greatness comes with a price. Uh, You know, when you're good at something, that's when it, it just makes things much more nerve wracking every time you have to do it. So with the 50 meter freestyle, uh, I suppose in this year's ASEAN Para Games, I was going up against a swimmer that was previously in the category above mine which means she uh, in simple terms less disabled than I am okay but by some mishap you know she's been put back down to S8 uh, at a South, Southeast Asian level uh, and so that meant that I was swimming with someone that is technically um, upper class wow. and I lost to her last year um, which was difficult because I've not lost the 50 meter freestyle since 2015 so this year going in, as much as I knew, I made significant progress and my my times from this year told me that, you know, I, I would not be losing <laughs> <laughs> realistically if I if I executed my swim well. But I had a lot of fear because, um, you know, if it's your best event, that also means the stakes are highest for that event. Uh, I've missed 
you know, qualifying for world champs previously um, by milliseconds for the event. So a lot of pressure. But finally, this one time, I suppose, I managed to overcome that. And even though, like, there was only two swimmers in the 50-meter freestyle because there were no other S8 swimmers that wanted to swim it <laughs> um, on the Southeast Asian level. But, you know, a win was a win. And I think that felt a lot. I, I was very proud of myself at that moment, or at least a lot more than all the other gold medals I've won, even though they were much more competitive. <laughs> So what are you preparing for next? You brought up the Hong, Huangzhou um, Asian Games. Um, how's preparation coming for that? Um, how are your training programs and all running right now? So yes, we are preparing for the Hangzhou Asian Para Games. Uh, but we did just come back from Manchester last week uh, where we were competing in the World Championships. So um, I know a few of the swimmers are still on break. Um, myself, I've resume training but not at the highest intensity yet i'm just getting back into it um and yeah hopefully this will be the longest block we have uh, i think it's about two months we have two months to train for it which is the longest block we've had this whole year to train for a competition so fingers crossed you know this this will pay off because um when it's a multi-sport game i think that's when the scrutiny is even worse it's different when we go for our own qualifying meets that's um just isolated with para swimming but when you go for like sea games asian games that's when the world is watching and that's when the uh the pressure builds so hopefully you know that will not get to us and before we wrap this conversation up what advice would you give someone who says i want to be common lim one day maybe not think that <laughs> uh, just because i mean it is not easy um, and if anything, just be yourself, I suppose, because, you know, there's, you, that's what you're going to be best at. So, um, find what you're good at, find out what you love and stick to that, have consistency and, um, yeah, instead of, I mean, it's, it's good to take inspiration or to be inspired by other people, but maybe not, um, strive to become the person <laughs> yeah <laughs> on that note Carmen thank you so much for joining me today thank you very much for the interview that was Carmen Lim she's a para swimmer if you missed any part of our conversation you can also check us out on podcasts we're available on the BFM app bfm.my or pretty much wherever you get your podcast from I'm Dashan Johan and this has been Redefining Success BFM 89.9